the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Friday edition of the program. you got to admit, this has been one crazy week. We start with a solar eclipse and we end with a hurricane. Uh, be safe out there. Um, may the Lord keep you in his hands, but we've still got work this weekend. It's still a time to go and be the light of Christ. Um, you know, I've had a whole bunch of calls uh, today, emails, and and walked into the church, and people say, are we still having church? Are we still? Of course we're having church. Christians need to be in church, as long as it's not unsafe for you to go. See, these are the kind of things you never know what God has in store for you. So yes, just in case you're listening and are interested in coming, we're going to have church tonight at 7 o'clock. We're in Acts chapter 2, where uh, Peter delivers the very first message of the new church. Uh, 3,000 people get saved on uh, Sunday. I have one of the most wonderful, a glorious message from Romans chapter 8, um, uh, verses 9 through 18. It's what we all need. And the work of God doesn't stop just because it's a little wet out there. Be safe, be smart, but we ought to be in church. So we're going to be here uh, Sunday. We're going to be here tonight. Uh, we'll have prayer tomorrow morning here at the church, as we always do. So um, keep people in prayer who are in the path of the hurricane. We've got some really dear friends uh, in Corpus Christi, Beaumont, uh, certainly in Houston, that that uh, we, we're going to waste uh, use all of our prayer energy praying for them uh, this weekend. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, in case you didn't hear the announcement, three, four, uh, at, from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. And this is the radio program, The Word to Stand Up for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. we got some good questions that have been sent in, but we love to have your live calls. 340-9585 is the number, 340-9585 if you're in the uh, outside the local calling area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And you can also send them in via our free mobile app. And every day I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Okay, let's go to some questions that we have. Um, Anne wants to know, what does it really mean? Oh, no, I, I read that wrong. Does it really mean that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength? Uh, Philippians chapter 4. And it really does mean that, but it doesn't mean, for instance, that I can go out and lift a two-ton rock or something like that. It's not silly stuff. But we can do all of those things that are in his will, but not by our own strength, but by his strength. So that's the thing. It's the Lord who gives us strength. I love one of the places in in uh, uh, Paul's epistles where he talks about the power of God that works so effectively. Uh, one translation says powerfully in and through him. Um, that's the power that we have at our disposal. 
So it doesn't mean that we can go do these supernatural strength uh, feats of strength. It doesn't mean that we can figure out all the mysteries. What it means is that when we are tasked by the Lord to do something for Him, there's nothing that we can't do because He provides this infinite power in, this infinite power to do whatever it is He's asked us to do. And the, the, the emphasis there is, is uh, not in our own strength because we don't have any, but in His strength, there are no limits to what we can do. So that's what it means. Uh, don't misunderstand it to mean anything that simply doesn't make any sense at all. hope that answers your question. Here is a question. Actually, I've got two questions from Marcus uh, from our email inbox. This one in a follow-up. Uh, his first one says, Some say that we have complete and total free will. Some say God doesn't force himself on anyone. I'm one of those people, by the way, Marcus, who says those things. Uh, that he doesn't force us to love him. But what about Jonah and Paul? Jonah had no interest in obeying God, yet God force corrected his path. Paul was out to kill Christians, and God basically stopped him in his tracks and said, no, you're going to suffer for my name's sake, regardless of what Paul wanted. It seems like Jonah and Paul didn't have much of a choice. How is this not God forcing himself? A couple of things, Marcus. You're confusing um, the, the different ways that God deals with his own people uh, and the people um, that don't know him at all. Uh, God won't force anybody to love him, that is to be sure. Uh, but, but Jonah was already a prophet of God. Jonah and God had a relationship. Jonah spoke for God. Uh, and Jonah just was being stubborn. And when, when Jonah uh, was on that ship going the opposite direction um, that he was supposed to go, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, he's going to Tarshish, um, God gave him a choice. God gave him a choice. He was in the belly of the whale, the belly of the great fish. Uh, and Jonah, you'll read, repented. That's what God's purpose was. And make no mistake, God disciplines his own. In fact, he disciplines us first and, and, and perhaps is even more strict with us. And this was just discipline. Can you imagine what it was like, Jonah, who knew God, who'd spoken for God, and suddenly finds himself in the belly of this fish, and he's thinking, it doesn't get much worse than this, and he repents. That's what God's corrective discipline is all about. Uh, Jonah already loved God, and God was just making sure that nothing got in the way. Now, one of the things I say, and I'll deal with Paul separately in just a moment, Marcus, but one of the things I love about God is that he loves us so much, Marcus, that he intentionally makes it difficult for us to go our own way instead of following his plan for our lives. He makes it difficult. He doesn't force us. Now, Jonah could have died in that fish, but he didn't. And by the way, he had no idea when he was repenting where, what direction that fish was heading. God was sending him to Nineveh because God knew what Jonah was going to do because he knew Jonah's heart. He just had to show Jonah what was in his heart. And in the same way, if we as humans who belong to God, if we try to do something that is contrary to his will for our lives, I promise you there are going to be consequences. That's love. That's the way we raise our children, Marcus. If I have a child and he wants to do something that's going to be harmful as a father, then what I'm going to do is discipline him and correct him. And that's the only thing that was going on with Jonah. With Paul, it was even different. Because at the point where um, um, God says, I'm going to show you the things that you must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, by the way, he didn't tell Paul that. He told uh, Ananias that. Um, he gave Paul a chance, a choice. He's blinded by a light. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember Saul's question? Who are you, Lord? And with all of my heart, with all of my heart, Marcus, I believe that when he asked that question, who are you, Lord? He was hoping it wasn't Jesus. I've been persecuting Christians. I've been throwing them in jail. I'm, I'm responsible for the death of Stephen and others. Who are you, Lord? And when he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, well, that changed everything. And Paul, right then and there, had to make a choice. And Paul was called to an extraordinary ministry. And that's why Jesus would later show him all of the things that he would have to suffer. Because that, too, was a choice. This is what it's going to be like following me, 
Saul, soon to be Paul. Are you in or out? And he, of course, made the right choice, and the world was changed. So it's not God forcing himself. God will never force himself on an unbeliever. But he's also not going to let you, because he loves you as a believer, Marcus, he's not going to let you do something that is going to harm you or something that's contrary to his word if, in fact, he has the opportunity to nudge you the other direction. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes consequences force us to be in that place where God wants us to be. Hope that answers that question. Here's your follow-up, Marcus. He says a follow-up question on free will. If we have free will to choose Christ or not choose him, what's the point of people praying that people will get saved or that God will work on their hearts? Wouldn't that be asking God to overrule their free will of not choosing him? Does God then disregard our free will when it comes to salvation? God never overrides our free will, Marcus. But here's the thing that you have to really understand. When you're looking at God who lives outside of time and space, he knows the end from the beginning. God uses people to share in that ministry. Example, in my own life, Paula prayed for me for 13 years. For 13 years she prayed for me. Now to her it looked like I would never get saved. But he kept having her pray. You should read her journals, journal after journal, filled with those prayers. Now, something about prayer that we can't really understand fully. Moses is the best example in Scripture. God uses the prayers of his people so that we can share in the rewards when the people we're praying for come to Christ. It's not God overriding free will, but, but God is simply asking us as he did Moses. You remember the times uh, Jesus and Moses used to argue uh, about whose people they were? I always laugh. Uh, These people you gave me, Moses uh, would say. And, and God would say, no, they're not my people. I'm going to leave them. I'll go with you, but I'm not going to take them. But, but that was an effort to get Moses to pray. He was making Moses more like him. And when we pray for others, the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, Marcus, we're never more like Jesus than during those times. So yes, we have free will. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, we can choose or not choose to become a believer. But I want you to think about this from the spiritual perspective. How hard is it to resist God knocking on the door of your heart when uh, perhaps at any given time there's thousands and thousands of people praying for you? You see, that's the way God works, and that's the way we get to participate in his rewards. That's why it's important to be a man of prayer. We pray because he said to. Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that doesn't mean God is overriding free will of those who would come to faith. Tonight at our study, Marcus, we're going to have the first 3,000 members of the first century church. That's a direct answer to Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them. That's why we pray for the lost. We don't want them. Our heart has to be his heart. And never forget, I've said this many times in this program, Marcus, when we are praying for people, God moves. And if his heart is broken by people going to hell, our hearts have to be broken by people going to hell. So that's why we pray. Now, Marcus, I'm sure this isn't you, uh, your intent, so don't don't misunderstand. But, you know, I, I think sometimes when we get the questions, why, why bother to pray if God knows everything? I think that's just an outward sign of spiritual laziness. Why wouldn't we want to pray for the things that are on God's heart? If Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, if we've given him control in our lives, why wouldn't we want to pray when that's what he lives to do? Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. So, Marcus, that's why we pray. And when we pray, lives are changed. So I hope that makes some sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a uh, question from our email inbox from Nacho. Um, 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, is Paul eluding or alluding back to the physical sacrifice he is enduring when we find uh, in Philippians in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, is the reference of being poured out as a drink offering an indication of the physical effort he's making, or is it a metaphor for something else? It's not a metaphor at all. Uh, it's a very Jewish uh, in, in terms of its imagery, uh, Nacho. Now, let's go back to the context of Philippians chapter 2. He's talking to the church in Philippi. Now, remember, this is a prison epistle. Paul's writing from prison. And he tells him in the 14th verse, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked, depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Now, Paul, as he founds his church, he really cares for these people. And so he's telling him, be blameless, be a light. And then in the verse that you refer to, verse 17, he then says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In other words, Paul's hope was in the Philippians, not in his survival. What he was saying, I'm being poured out. I'm spending and being spent. I've got nothing left, but I'm going to keep spending whatever strength I can find. And the imagery, the Jewish imagery, is imagine taking a drink offering and pouring it on a sizzling halt altar. All there would be would like sizzle and steam. And Paul basically is saying, that's the purpose of my life. And yes, it manifests in the suffering that he alluded to earlier. But it, it is also a very distinct reference to his imprisonment. Remember, there would be people who would say that because Paul's in jail, he must not be in God's will. Even back then, people thought that if you were in God's will, everything would go well with you. Paul's saying, no, that's not true. I am in God's will. And even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, um, that's okay. You're my reward. You're my joy. And because you're my reward and because you're my joy, then I can rejoice. So, not to I hope that answers your question. I love those questions, especially about Philippians. 340-9585. Here is a question from Anonymous Email Inbox. I'm a little confused on what all Adam is blamable for. I know we have our sin nature. That's a tendency to sin because of the fall in the garden. But we're also labels, labeled as sinners at birth before we commit a sin because of the fall. Isn't the baby innocent until it sins for the first time? We know all people sin because of our sin nature, which we get from Adam. But are newborn babies or babies who die in the womb already guilty of sin because of Adam before they even do anything or are they considered innocent until they sin? Uh, babies aren't considered sinners until they sin. And, and the Bible doesn't say that we're labeled sinners at birth. Uh, what David is saying in Psalm 51 applies to his own situation. Surely I was sinful from birth, even from my mother's womb. That's a reference to the sin nature that we inherit. What Jesus says in John chapter 3 is that we're born condemned. Now, why are we born condemned? Because God, who knows everything, knows that we're going to sin. Now, I, I like the, the picture here of a baby who's cute and innocent, but anybody who's ever had one of those little monsters, and I say that lovingly because I love babies, but we know they're sinners. We know that they're selfish. We know that they want only what they want, and they're going to scream, and they're going to fuss until they get what they want. That's what a sin nature is. So the fact that they haven't covertly committed a sin doesn't mean that that sin nature is not in them. Now, here's the good thing. Because we're all only accountable for what we know. And I like to say it like this. We're only accountable for what we do with what we know. We're never accountable for what we don't know. And clearly, babies have no uh, accountability before God. So a baby who is born with a sin nature uh, is covered by the blood. So uh, babies who, who, who are born or babies who die in the womb um, they're going to be in heaven. Um, God knows that they're going to sin if they if they if they're babies that, lo- that live, um, but they're covered by the blood. So we're we're innocent until we're guilty of sin and aware of that guilt. Anybody before the age of accountability, anonymous, 
is not going to be held accountable for their sin. Jesus' blood, God's marvelous grace, covers all of those things. As to what Adam is blamable for, to use your term, Adam stood before God for his own sin. Not for mine, not for yours, just for his own sin. In the same way, every one of us, when we stand before the Lord, will be held accountable just and only for our own sin. We won't be able to stand before God and say, you know, it's Adam's fault. Let me talk to him. Because God's got a book with your name on it, not Adam's. So Adam is accountable to God for his own sin. We'll see Adam in heaven. Just like you, Anonymous, are accountable for your sin, and I'm accountable for mine. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you very, very much. Hey, we'd love your live calls. This has been one of the slower weeks uh, for our our phone traffic uh, this week. There's been so much going on, but it's always a better program. Remember when you participate, 340-9585. Here's another anonymous question. Why would God forgive me if I keep breaking promises to him? Is it possible that I've sinned too much? And by that, I, I... I trust that you mean sin too much for God to love you, to forgive you. The answer is no. Why would God forgive you if you keep breaking promises? Because he loves you. And that's what he wants to do. And we really need to to, to hold on to that fact. God loves you. He's crazy about you. Uh, how precious are your thoughts toward me? How vast the sum of them, the psalmist writes. So he would forgive you because it's what he died to do. And if we don't remember that, then we give the enemy this terrible opening to beat us up with guilt and condemnation. If you heard yesterday's program with Paula, she talked about the no guilt zone. Uh, God loves you. You have to just accept the fact that every promise you've ever broken, he knew you were going to break it, and he loves you anyway. You can't out God's grace. And even as you ask this question, Anonymous, the heart with which you ask it, indicates a longing for the Lord. It indicates that you love Him. And He knows you love Him. And He wants to forgive you because He wants a relationship with you. So stop listening to the lies of an enemy and start reading your Bibles. Now let me go off here for a minute. Not on you, Anonymous, but on everybody. You see, if we read our Bibles, we'd know this. If we read our Bibles, the enemy wouldn't have the opportunities, the openings that we give him to pound us. If we read our Bibles, we'd focus less on our failure and more on his victory. We need to understand what he's done for us. We need to know what the facts are, and we need to combat our feelings with the facts but if we don't open our Bibles we're simply slaves to our emotions slaves to circumstances so please don't do that let's go to uh, an anonymous phone call from San Antonio on line one you're on the air thanks for calling hi Pastor Ron thanks for taking my call can you hear me thank you for calling I can hear you fine thank you oh okay um well, I pondered about calling for quite a while, and when you mentioned that, quote, Father, forgive them, for they know, on and on, and I that had been on my heart for quite a while now, and I'm just, since, since we're striving to be more Christ-like, uh, when, when you, when you, when I, not you, when I find myself wounded by various people, things, um, it, it becomes really glaringly obvious that I am so far away from being able to say that um, in an honest way. If I look in the mirror, um, I, it just, it, it, I'm just a total failure when it comes to that, it seems. And then yeah. Your your message on uh, no condemnation and all, but boy, would 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 I ever need uh, more encouragement from your lovely 
precious. <laughs> and <laughs> and I just I just feel that uh, you know uh, I don't know. I, I I just struggle with that day after day, and and it seems like I am just so far short of anything that I aim at. I don't know what what. If you give me a moment, I'll hang up and listen on the air, radio. Okay. Anonymous, I'll have to get you on the other side of the break, but uh, this is an important phone call. So I will, uh, I'll start with it before the break, and then we'll, I'll pick it up a little bit after the break. Thank you very, very much for your call. 340-9585, we got 30 minutes left in the program coming up. Uh, I want to say to this caller and to, to other people who beat themselves up because they're not Jesus yet. You see, to forgive is a choice. To forgive is a choice. It's not a feeling. There's nothing in my flesh, and, and I love God, I love His people with all of my heart, but there's not one ounce of my flesh that wants to forgive somebody who's hurt me. If somebody says something bad about me, I want to run to my own defense. But you see, that's that moment when you look in the mirror and you make the right choice. And this is one of those struggles that I talked about in our study in Romans that pleases God. I got more. This is pretty important for a lot of people. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word, the Center for Life. Back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program um anonymous let me share my heart uh, just just for another minute or two on this um I, I want you to know and i want everybody else who struggles with with feeling inadequate um, how pleased God is when we struggle. Um, you know, I think sometimes we we expect our flesh to improve. Uh, it never does. And that's why when your flesh arises, when you look in the mirror and you say, Father, forgive them, and they say, I can't say that. That's when you say, I want to be able to say that, Jesus. I want to be more like you. Forgive me and make me more like you. And then you begin praying for the people that you're having a hard time with. And God will change your heart. Now, he'll change it as you pray. It doesn't mean he'll change it instantly. It doesn't mean your flesh is suddenly going to rejoice. I, one time, Anonymous prayed for a man that uh, really, really, this is before I got saved, he really, really intended me harm. He stole from me. He uh, my perspective was that he ruined my life. Turns out it was the best thing that ever happened because that's the, the desperation I had to find myself in in order to come to Jesus. But after I got saved, the Lord asked me to go ask him to forgive me. And I said, me forgive him? How, how could that possibly be? And I... I told the Lord all the things he already knew. Why would you ask me to do that? And Jesus basically said, you're mine, he's not. And it took so much prayer. And I would pray for that man through gritted teeth. But slowly God was changing my heart. I did what God asked me to do. I went and asked him to forgive me. He was arrogant and took it the wrong way. But it was just a couple of months it went by. And I realized one day praying for him that I really wanted him in heaven. And that was victory. That was victory. We have to let go of those things that offend us. You know, when somebody offends us, we're supposed to be dead people. How can dead people be offended? Whenever you're offended, it's your flesh. So you crucify the flesh at that moment when the enemy pushes those buttons and the flesh comes back to life, you crucify it again. And I promise you, eventually you'll have victory. 
And then you'll go on to something else that you'll need to get victory over. But that's the way we do it. It's not how we feel. It's not the, the wicked thoughts that we have toward people. It's, Jesus, I don't want those thoughts. I want your thoughts. I don't want my life to be consumed by spending even one minute thinking about this person and what they did to me. I want to be free from that. And the way to be free is to remember, and this is kind of a heads up for Sunday's message, there's a new sheriff in town. The Holy Spirit is alive. The Holy Spirit's the one in control. Unless we let our flesh live, the Spirit of God will take you to that place. So when you are willing to forgive somebody, when you ask God to help you, He is so pleased because He knows how hard it is. And it's always the hard things that we give the Lord that mean the most to Him. So Anonymous, I appreciate your question. Thank you. You are not alone in that at all. Here is a question from Rick. He says, what is your view? And this is the first time I've ever been asked this question. I like it. Uh, What is your view on the eternal subjection of Jesus to the Father and the Holy Spirit to Jesus? Uh, There is a, a, a theology that says that Jesus was not only subject to the authority of God, uh, when he was incarnate, when he was a human walking this earth, uh, but that he always will be. And that offends people for some reason. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit are all completely God. They're completely equal. The only place where there's authority and subjection is in the role of the particular ministry of each member of the Godhead. So, It doesn't mean, eternal subjection doesn't mean, as some take it, that Jesus is eternally inferior to the Father and the Holy Spirit eternally inferior to Jesus. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that they embrace with complete unanimity. They embrace their roles in the work that God is doing on the earth. And I think we have this thing, we we see through egos, we see through pride, we see through... Uh, our own perspective and it's like well if he's eternally subject to the father then how can we say Jesus is God he chose to be of his own free will he considered you Rick and me so valuable that he eternally subjected himself to the authority of the father now what does the father do with that I love this because we might say Jesus is a junior partner he doesn't get his props but wait a minute he said Jesus did All judgment has been given to me by my Father. He also said that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So what did the Father do with the authority that Jesus gave up? He gave it right back to Jesus. You see, that's the unity of the Holy Spirit. And there's no question that the roles of the Father, the roles of the Son, and the roles of the Holy Spirit are different. And one is under the authority of the other. The head of man is God. The head of Jesus, Corinthians says, is God. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus said, I sent the Holy Spirit to you, and he will testify of me. Incidentally, Rick, Jesus is the only one of the three who has substance, physical substance. So Jesus still has the limitations of physicality, which the Father and the Spirit don't have. But the roles are clearly one under the authority of the other. Jesus considered equality with God not something to be held on to, Philippians 2, but gave it up, considering himself nothing, humbling himself, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Those were choices they made because this is the only way that people like you, Rick, and people like me could get saved. The Father sent the Son because it required a man to die for the sins of mankind. Once Jesus was risen from the dead, there still had to be his presence. He promised his disciples he wouldn't leave them as orphans. And so he said basically to them, it's good for you that I go away. If I go away, I'm going to send you another me. Different in physicality, but same in substance. And he will be in you, even to the end of the age, the spirit of truth. So, the eternal subjection of Jesus to the Father and the Holy Spirit to Jesus 
is about roles, not about equality. And we need to understand that in that vein because it is an important doctrine. Go to heaven and we want to see the Father. The Father's going to point to the Son. We go to the Son and we want to see the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to point to the Son. Think about that. The Father points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Pretty much. It's all about Jesus and it always has been and always will be. Great great question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a topical question for sure. Anonymous says, can Christians use medical marijuana? Uh, Marijuana um, and smoking is a sin. I want to make that really, really clear. But we also serve a God of compassion. And see, this is an issue that the Bible doesn't with directly, so we have to deal with it according to God's character, his nature. Now, here's what I know remains sin. We all know, if we're honest, we all know that people go to doctors and they get prescriptions for medical marijuana because they want to get high. Not because they have a need for it medically. That's sin. God knows our heart. We can't fool him. I've had people come say, but Pastor Ron, I have a prescription. Give my doctor. I say, what's the prescription for? And the doctor's some guy who happens to be connected with some supplier. I want you to think about these things for a moment. God knows our heart. Why do we try to fool him? Now, having said that, if there's a true need, a true need, and that's medicinally the only way that you can get relief and comfort. I'm sure God wouldn't have any problem with that. When you stand before Jesus, he'll open his arms and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now here's our problem as Christians. Well, if they get to, why don't I get to? I mean, yeah, I, I like marijuana too. Because we have to make sacrifices for God. We have to die. I'll tell a quick story. We had a lady in our church who'd been around for a long time and she was dying of a really, really rare disease. Um, being taken away from us way too young. Um, as she got toward the end, she had this incessant itching that wouldn't go away. I mean, just it, it was driving her crazy. And nothing worked. And her doctor said, why don't you try marijuana? Sometimes it works. And she did once, and she felt so convicted, she came to me. And she said, it really worked to stop my itching. But I really don't think I should have done it. What do you think? And I told her, I think Jesus is fine. You can live out the rest of your life. And it was only a couple of months without this itching driving you crazy. Then I think God would be fine with that. You see, there was a real need. So... We have to never forget that God knows our heart. He's like a father who knows his child well. And when you try to make excuses, well, I have a prescription for you. You say, come on, get real. But I also think if there was a real need, a loving father would be fine with that as well. So that's the best I can do, Anonymous. Hank says, Pastor Ron, how much authority should we give a pastor in our lives? Absolutely none. The answer is absolutely none, Hank. This is important. Um, We who are pastors are just men. And we don't have authority. If you've got a pastor who uh, is, is trying to exercise authority over you, that's much like a husband saying to his wife, woman, submit to me. You know that marriage is in trouble from the very, very beginning. Uh, We have a pretty large church in terms of the numbers of people that come here. Uh, And I don't have authority over a single person. Now, there are some people who have given me authority in their lives, not to dominate or or to tell them how to live their lives, but in certain areas of their life. People that come, uh, my pastors, I have authority over the pastors here on staff at Calvary Chapel. They know what the expectations are. They know what the standard is. But in terms of just telling people what to do or how to live their lives, I have no authority. And the only authority I have at all, Hank, the only time I'm speaking from a position of authority is when I'm teaching the Bible. And that's not my authority, that's the authority of God. So if you're in a church 
when a pastor is trying to exercise authority, it is a very unhealthy, uh, out-of-balance church, and it's probably better that you find a safer place to be. If you have a pastor who's trying to lord it over you, we serve willingly, eagerly, Jesus said. Not lording over the people of God. We recognize that they belong not to us, but to Jesus. So don't give anybody authority in your life except Jesus. He has total authority. And then if you're in a healthy, well-balanced church, a church that's committed to teaching the Bible, not talking about it, but teaching the Bible, then that pastor is going to be somebody that you can trust. When people come to me, Hank, and ask me for advice, especially in life situations, things aren't directly connected with the Word of God, something I can't say, well, Ephesians 2, 3 says... I always tell them, what is God saying to you? Well, I don't know. That's why I want you to tell me what to do. I never will tell anybody what to do. This is between you and the Lord. Be in your Bible. He'll talk to you. I promise you, he'll speak to your heart. But you see, if I exercise authority in somebody's life and it doesn't go well, who are they going to be mad at? So the idea is we should never, as pastors, exercise authority over anybody if we understand that then we're on pretty solid ground I hope that makes sense to you Hank thank you very much let's go to line one and talk with Gloria Gloria thanks for calling you're on the air yes Pastor Ron I had a well you were talking a few minutes ago about forgiveness and I know that you know the father says we must forgive for he has forgiven us but sometimes it is so hard when you have forgiven but you don't want to any longer be with your spouse you I mean you have that feeling and you know you ask God God is there really any restoration in this did we we, did we lose you glory okay yeah I only got to is there any when you ask God is there any restoration in this oh uh, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Yes. Well, I'm talking about my husband. I have forgiven him mm-hmm. for something that he did to the family, but I no longer feel the same way that I did before and really do not want to be with him. And, and I know God says forgive, and I, I, I have forgiven, but if you don't want to be with someone anymore, does that mean you have not forgiven well, not necessarily, Gloria. Um, um, I, I want you to listen very carefully because this is important. Um, you know, sometimes when we say things like we don't want to be with them anymore, uh, we understand your feelings. We understand your emotions. But those are the times when our faith is really tested, and that's when we have to find out what God wants. Now, if your husband did something that that is a, a biblically divorceable thing, then you you don't have to be with him. You're free. But... What does God want? And that's how we exercise our freedom, not to do what we want, but to do what God wants. And so what we have to do, if God says to you, glory, glory, what I really want you to do is love your husband. Now, if you've listened to this program, you know my wife prayed for me for 13 years, and she didn't want to be with me. She was sure there was a godly man out there. But God asked her if it was okay if he used her to win my heart. And in the process of partnering with God in that Paula's heart toward me changed, but it didn't change overnight. She prayed for me for 13 years. It didn't change for a long time, but she was simply willing to take God's side on this issue, and she realized that since God was for me, she had to be for me, and she prayed for me, and she prayed for me, and over a number of years, that began to change. So here's what I would suggest that you do. Say, Jesus, give me your heart for my husband. You know what he's done. You know how badly he's hurt me. You know how I feel about him now. But give me your heart for him. Let me suggest to you this weekend, we're all going to have a lot of time indoors, apparently. So read First Peter chapter 3, the first five or six verses. Uh, read it six or seven times and ask God to give you that heart 
the heart of the woman that God can use to win your husband to him. Now, if your husband is a professing believer, then it's even a higher stakes uh, a prayer. So, so just, Jesus, I need your heart for him. And then this one verse, Romans 5, 5, says that hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his spirit into our hearts. I'm sorry, God has poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. So, Gloria, the, the prayer that you would pray is, Jesus, help me to love him with the love that you've already poured into my heart instead of the absence of love that's in my heart. And then we walk by faith, we pray, and God will change your heart. It may take some time, but I promise you'll change your heart if that's what he wants. I, I believe that, and I know that, but I, I, I ask God, God, if I stay with this man, I will lose my grandchildren and any children around me, and I don't know if I can do that because well, my children yeah. have told me they will not bring a child around because of what he did and he was accused okay. of. Okay. Well, if, if, if in a case like this, there's, there's something different. Um, uh, it would sound to me like if there's any substance to these, these claims, um, uh, it would sound to me like your husband has committed uh, an offense, uh, a sin that is, is justifies biblical divorce. So here's what you do. You just say, Lord, you know if he's done these things, and you may know, Glory, what he's done, and I don't want any information from you, but if, in fact, he's guilty of those things, then uh, the Lord is going to give you the freedom to leave. You don't have to stay with him. Uh, if he's, if you're free to leave. Now, God hates divorce, it's true. But sometimes the things that we do are so heinous, so evil, that God wants to give you freedom. So this is one of those times when you really need to get close to the Lord and pray. But I can promise you one thing. If, 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 if he's guilty of an offense against children, um, this is a man that you don't need to be with. And and not to be able to be with your children and your grandkids uh, who who eventually are going to be angry because you chose his side instead of theirs. And you, you remember, you're going to be on the side of righteousness. You're going to be on Jesus' side. And so if he's committed those sins, then you're free to divorce him. You're not obligated to stay with him. But that's a, that's a matter between you and the Lord for prayer. And, Gloria, I can promise you this one thing for sure. God will make it absolutely clear uh, whatever he tells you to do, then embrace it. God knows if the accusations made against him are true. If they are, you're free to divorce. If he didn't do it, God may ask you to hang in there with him. Uh, Gloria, let me tell a quick story, and, and I don't know how close to the, we're coming pretty close to the end of the program. Um, uh -huh. But uh, a friend of mine uh, in Corpus Christi, a pastor, had a, a woman in his church falsely accused of uh, murdering her, her foster child that she was in the process of adopting. She had a bunch of other kids, and she adopted this, this child. Uh, he had all kinds of problems. He was dead. And the, 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 the local government uh, decided they were going to make an issue. The DA and the police department, uh, they railroaded this woman. She actually did seven years in prison. And the whole time, her church family, uh, her husband, knew that she didn't do anything. They, they knew everything uh, was, was sort of trumped up charges against her. And they stood, when nobody else would, against enormous pressure publicly. They stood on her side. They stood on Jesus' side, and when she was released from prison and, and, and the truth came out, um, um, turns out they were the only ones who were really hearing from the Lord. I say that because while the whole world was proclaiming her guilty, uh, my friend and that church said, nope, we know her, she didn't do this, and, and, and God vindicated them. If your husband didn't do these things, then you want to stay with him. But if he did them, then you're free to go. And these are really, really serious things to consider. And, Gloria, it's one of the things that, that you really need a pastor to talk to. Uh, go to your church, talk to your pastor, get some direction. Uh, but this is one of those things that if you are free because he did these things, then go and embrace the rest of your family. I can't imagine not being with your children or with your grandchildren. I can't imagine that. And if he's going to be left alone, well, that's sometimes a consequence of the really, really terrible decisions that we make. 
Yes. Glory, would you, you've got to, uh, uh, you can write to us at questions at calvarysa.com. Would you please stay in mm-hmm. touch with me or let me know how I can get in touch with you? Because if you don't have anybody at your church that will help you, we'll find somebody, okay? Okay, thank you. I really appreciate that, and I will. I will. Okay, Glory. Thank you very, very much. Boy, those are the hard things, and we, we deal with circumstances. That's one of the reasons why I can't be a pastor to, to radio listeners. Um, I love what I do here, but there are times and situations that are so complex and so difficult that a conversation on radio is not going to solve it. Um, Gloria, we'll keep you in prayer. Perhaps we can all keep Gloria in prayer. I don't think I have time for phone calls. We're inside just two minutes, so I don't. Um, let me take this one. Anonymous says, uh, do you keep up with how much people in your church are giving? Uh, no, I do not, Anonymous. Uh, I don't know. Now, to be fair, uh, I'm the one who goes to the mailbox and open the mail. So I see who gives what when the money comes in the mail. But I'm one of those um, um, selective memory guys. I can remember the smallest thing, but I don't even want to think about that. So what I do is I, I'm only focused on the total amount that we get uh, on Sunday after third service uh, our counting crew the, the, the guy who heads it up will come to me and he'll hand me a piece of paper with the total giving but with, with no attention to detail at all this is how much we got and I don't know who gives what and I don't want to know who gives what that includes my leaders it includes everybody in the church um, because for me uh, God is the one who's doing the giving he's working uh, through the very generous hearts of the people of this church and so no I do not know how much in the church how much people in the church are giving nor do I want to know and uh, while I know there are some pastors who disagree with me and keep up with what everybody does uh, we don't follow people at all we, we, we receive every dime that comes in here with such a grateful heart that it would never occur to us to find out who's not giving and, and go follow up with them. Uh, I just think that's, that's lording over the flock instead of loving the flock. Well, we finished the weekend. Everybody be safe out on the roads. Go to church Sunday. If you can get there, get there. Don't use a hurricane or rain as an excuse. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thrilled to be here with the Lord's help. I'll be here on Monday at 4. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.